Well, church, it's just good to be home. How are you? <laughs> it's good to see you guys. Um, Jeremy, thank you, brother. I'm going to take you on the road with me. We're going we're gonna to do some wonderful things. Um, it's, it's really good to, to be here, and honestly, I'm so thankful for uh, this church. And, and if you would, give me about a minute and a half. I would just like to share um, some, some words um, from the heart. Uh, that I was trying to put into uh, some kind of format that would, I hope, make sense, and secondly, just show um, my gratitude towards uh, this body. Um, like Jeremy said, about six years ago, uh, we in, embarked on this journey, uh, my family and I, from Florida to uh, Gilbert, Chandler area, to be a part of this church, and honestly, we had no idea the impact that this church would make on our, our family. Uh, even more so uh, the spiritual formation that, that took place inside my entire family um, due to our, our time here. So on behalf of my wife, Sabina, uh, my two kids, uh, Sani and Shamar, we just want to say thank you, Redemption Church. Thank you for being Jesus in skin. Thank you for being a safe space for those who come from different walks of life to feel at home in this church. Tom Schrader, our founding pastor, had this saying of wanting this church location, this, this body, to be an influence beyond this campus and beyond this generation, and this church has been just that. But most importantly, I want to thank you for your resiliency and your conviction to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighbors who are close, near, and far. On January 11th, <clears throat> My wife's youngest sister um, passed away and, and is now in the arms of Jesus, and that was a rough season. That was a hard and difficult season uh, for my family, and the ones that held us up the most was this church, 2,000-some miles away. The love and the care and the affection that you showed to my family is unmatched. Thank you, Redemption Gilbert. Thank you. Because of you, I'm a better man, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, but I'm a better follower of Jesus Christ because this church exists. So in short, thank you. It's okay to... Yeah. Now let's get into some shenanigans. Um, last week, Paul preached on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and Monday after, uh, Tom Brady announced that he was coming back to the Bucks. So my, here's my hope, that I preach on the appearance of Jesus this morning and that the Bucks would actually appear in the Super Bowl, amen? Um, but, but like Dan Moon, uh, who graciously read for us this morning, we're in John chapter 20, and it comes on the heels of Jesus' resurrection. And, and let me just say this, we can just stop and just marvel at that glorious and beautiful truth throughout all of human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This beautiful news that you and I get to participate in, and he is inviting us to join in on this mission, and all of it, all of the point of this, this, this passage, the book of John, the Bible itself from cover to cover hinges on this verse in John 20, 31, which I know somebody's going to preach on very well next week, uh, but it states this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Church, that is the goal 
that every heart in this room would be moved closer to the person of Jesus. Whether you're saved, been saved for the last 20, 30 years, or you're new to faith, or you're just having questions, my prayer this morning is that every heart be moved closer to Jesus as we look at this section in John. So if you would, just um, pray with me, and let's invite the Holy Spirit in here today. Father, thank you so much for your love, your compassion, and grace. Thank you for allowing us to gather together to study your word, to be fed through the scriptures, and then to be applied to our lives in our communities. God, for those who don't know you in this room, in this building, in this moment, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that their, their, the light of their hearts would come on, that salvation would be theirs. And for the rest of us in this room, God, would you equip us to be faithful followers of Jesus from now and to this day and from this day on. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, we're in John 20, 19, says this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together with locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So to give you some context of what's happening here, these disciples, they're not behind those locked doors playing hide and seek. They're not, they're not playing Red Rover, Red Rover. They're, they're extremely afraid for their lives. And there's a couple of reasons why these disciples are actually afraid. Um, one suggests is because they had been a part of this ministry with Jesus. They had been seen with him on these, on these mission trips and, and seen him doing these miracles and preaching this truth and this good news and this upside down kingdom kind of language. So they seen these religious leaders, seen these disciples with Jesus. So they all knew that they were next on the list. And then the second probably um, popular opinion of why they were afraid is because that stone that was rolled over the tomb, there was a Roman seal that was put on that tomb. And if anyone tampered with that seal, if anyone broke that seal, death would be the consequences. So we have rumors of a, a body that's no longer there, a stone that's been, run, uh, that's been removed, seal that's been absolutely destroyed. Now, if we was to stop right now and just go around the room and just begin to ask the question, um, tell me a story about your life and how you've been affected by hurt and pain. We would start to unravel and start to see a pattern of all of us having these locked doors around us. All of us having this, 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 uh, this proverbial locked doors that, that shuts out, out of fear of being hurt again, out of being betrayed, or even worse, not, not being loved, not being cared for. We all had these opportunities and these moments in our life where something that we think is supposed to happen or a celebratory moment is, is supposed to take place, and then someone just comes in and rips the rug right from under us, and we're left just speechless. We're left decimated. Church, I'm so glad. If you're taking notes, write this down. Locked doors is not a hindrance to Jesus. He specializes in giving us what we need. And that's what we see in, in verse 20 when he says this. He said this and he showed them his hands and his sides and his disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He said to them, peace be with you. 
See, notice the first words out of Jesus' mouth to his disciples is not criticism. It's, it's not um, a long laundry list of their flaws and failures. Fellas, I needed y'all like three days ago. You know, they had this thing on my back that they wanted me to take up this, up this hill, and all of y'all deserted me. All of y'all got ghosts on me. Where were you? That's, that's not his response. Kind of now, I'm gonna tell a story here, but before I get into the story, I gotta give some back. I love my dad, me and my dad have a great relationship, but now I'm gonna go ahead and throw him under the bus. Uh, <laughs> so, I was visiting home, this is like 2005, and I didn't have a car, my car was in Flagstaff. So, uh, when I came back home, I was visiting with my dad, and he gave me the, the keys to his truck. Hey man, since you're gonna be in town. Have you some transportation so you can be able to visit with people, whatever. Well, this particular day, I didn't feel like going anywhere. And I have a younger brother. He's nine years younger than me. So at the time, he would have been 16, which means he just got his license, which means he's not a good driver. So I didn't want to drive this young man anywhere. Uh, that day, I felt my calling was on that couch. So I told him, hey, man, here's the keys. Go do whatever. About four or five hours later, I was expecting my brother to come home. But instead, my dad shows up. And my dad busts through the door. I mean, he does his James Brown impression. What, what happened to my truck? I was like, man, I don't, I don't know. Let's go see. We go outside. There's a, there's a dent and a scratch, like multiple scratches from the passenger side door all the way to the tailgate. My dad asked him, hey, did you feel anything backing up? He said, no. He said, did you even stop to look? He said, no. He looked at me. He said, I blame you. It's your fault. Now, here's the deal. That was 2005. Till this day, if I ask my dad, hey, dad, can I hold your truck to go do something? Well, son, there's a reason why I can't allow you to drive my truck. <laughs> See what had happened was, and he'll go into this eight-minute long monologue of why I can't borrow his truck from 2005. <laughs> Many of us have those kind of people in our lives that remind us of our, our flaws and our failures and shortcomings. What Jesus initiates with his disciples actually translates to his forgiveness. What he initiates is love and blessings over them. When he stretches out his crucified hands and, and his pierced side for examination for these guys, he, these scars, they're telling a story, a story of unconditional love that still rings true today. The scars are the reason for the peace that transcends all understanding and is able to penetrate the deepest part of the human heart. Where words seem to fail, his scars pick up the story of love and redemption. And for the next couple of verses here, 20 through 23, what, what I want to do is kind of frame it in this, in, this, uh, in this grid of five things that Jesus gives to his disciples that he also gives to us today. The first one, he gives them assurance, he gave them peace, a mission, the Holy Spirit, and authority. And we'll go through one by one and break these down. So the first uh, thing that he gives his disciples is assurance. That first piece is assurance. Hey, guys, it's really me. This, the same Jesus that you had been walking with for the last three years. Now, God, <laughs> God has given me a somewhat of a sick uh, 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 humor. I have a sick and twisted humor. I love scaring people. That's a part of my DNA. 
There was not a moment that I didn't try to scare Connor and Corey after 710 every, every Tuesday night. It's hiding in the, in the dark shadows. Um, my skin kind of gives that complexion of like, that's an easy target for me to hide behind. Um, them not knowing where I'm at and just coming up, boo. Um, and, and I have this, I, I have this imagination that it, if this was me in, in Jesus's moment, I, I, this would have been me. Uh, just show up and then boo. And then all the disciples, oh, Jesus Christ. And in the literal sense, right? Um, by the way, if that offends you, um, Brian Berger would love to take those uh, emails. Um, he's assuring them it's really him. And the proof is in the scars. Charles Spurgeon, he, he writes this, Jesus did not show up into their midst to give them a new thought or a new doctrine or even a new f- philosophical discovery. He, he showed up in their midst to show himself. He was a sacred egoist that day for what he spoke of was himself and what he revealed was himself. Church, can I add this? This is exactly what we need in our lives, in our society, in our communities. We need more of Jesus. We need more of the revelation of Jesus Christ in our midst. Amen? His scars from his wounds are an indicator that he's able to sympathize with us, which leads us to the next thing that he gives them is peace personified. In Luke's gospel, it, it actually shows up as Jesus being a ghost. They thought he was a ghost, and so he had to assure them of this peace. As one theologian puts it, the peace that they needed was to be resolved. They needed resolution into his death and the brutality of his death, but they also needed evidence of his resurrection to restore their faith. So the first piece was to calm them down to, hey, it's really me, but the second piece I'm giving you peace. Peace be with you. It was a formal invitation. It was a declaration. And this peace that Christ is declaring over them can only be found in him. As the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, 4 and 6 through 7, he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace, the so what of this passage is in seven. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So to flush this out a little bit more, to say that my sins are forgiven, that's peace. To say that I'm no longer a slave to sin, that's peace. To say, I don't care what tomorrow brings. I don't know what the future holds. All I know is who holds my future. That's peace. So the burning question that I have for us is, do you have that peace? Does that peace resonate with you? He gives them assurance, peace. And the third thing he gives them is a mission. Verse 21 says this, uh, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, I had said this earlier that the reason I believe this, this text in particularly is for not just his disciples, but for all of us in this room, because in Luke 24, 33, it reads that they got up and returned to Jerusalem 
There they found the 11 and those assembled together, meaning it was more than just the disciples that was in that room. John's gospel kind of narrows it down to make it feel like it's only the 10 or the 11. But in Luke's gospel, it opens it up that there's more people within, in that room. My point is this. Jesus didn't just give the disciples this. He gave everyone in that room and he's given everyone in this room these same five things. He's given us a mission. He's given us this message that you and I are to be his representatives, to serve, to seek the least, the last, the lost, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to suffer for righteousness. Not many of us are going to sign up for that one. To be gentle and lowly, to bear the burdens of one another, to love one another, be patient with one another. This mission that he's calling you and I on, it can only be fulfilled through the Holy Spirit. And that's the fourth thing that he gives us. Verse 22, and with this he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the language that John uses here in the Greek is the same language that is used in Genesis 2, 7, when God breathed life into an unresponsive Adam and he become a man, he becomes alive. Jesus breathes on his disciples and those in that room, and they become from unresponsive to alive. What most would say salvation took place that day, that moment. That salvation of a generated, regenerated heart to those disciples, moving from death to life, as Ezekiel the prophet Ezekiel writes in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 28, a new heart I will give you, a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove from your body the heart of stone and I will give you the heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. You shall be my people and I will be your God. And all God's people said amen. And then the Apostle Paul, he, he, continues to, he continues to unfold this, this same kind of thought pattern of going from death to life in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. And he says this, because of this great love which God has, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our trespasses, transgressions, sins, dead. Dead things don't do things. <laughs> Dead things don't move. They don't, they don't seek after. They don't respond. And at that moment, verse 5, he made us alive in Christ Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved. See, there's no stipulations that is placed with this gift that Jesus offers to his disciples and those within that room on that sacred Sunday. There's no three-step process Jesus just gave them what he gave of himself, this gift. And this gift stands today, ladies and gentlemen. This gift of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit resting and ruling in our lives. And call me old-fashioned, but I don't think we need another government assistant program. 
I don't think we need another reality TV show to kind of tell us how to do things or what juices are out of style or what shiplack means to the living room. I don't think we need more electronics or pharmaceutical methods to relieve us of our stress and tension. I think we need more of the Holy Spirit. I think we need more of Jesus Christ resting and ruling in our lives. And the last thing he gives to his disciples and those in that room is authority. There's been much debate about this particular verse in John. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone's sins, they're forgiven. If you do not forgive them, then their sins are not forgiven. Because the running theme is, oh, I thought, you know, only God can forgive sins, which is, which is there's truth to that. But, but from the commentaries that I've read, from the, the, um, the common thread throughout John's writing, it leans to this, that what Jesus is giving his disciples is the authority to announce the forgiveness of sins. That you and I, church, we have the same privilege and responsibility to make the announcement that sins are forgiven, that sins can be forgiven. And this announcement, it comes with a promise and a warning. And the best example of this proclamation of this forgiveness of sins is best proclaimed in Acts 2 with the apostle uh, Peter you know, just a couple of days, this dude was cutting off ears and betraying Jesus, and now he's the greatest preacher that we've ever seen. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, 41 says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have, if you repent, ask God, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is a promise. But this promise also comes with a warning. Verse 39, and the promise is for you and your children and all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's his sovereignty. But verse 40 says this, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The authority to share good news, church, has been placed on our shoulders. It's not a burden too heavy for us. For the follower of Jesus Christ to proclaim his death, burial, and resurrection is just good news. That the sins of our past mistakes, our failures, is all forgiven at the cross. That's good news. And receiving the Holy Spirit as a gift to walk in this new life that is hidden in Christ, it's a gift. But on the same side of that coin is our, is our responsibility to proclaim the warnings for those who don't place their trust and their life in Jesus. The consequences of unrepentant sin is namely 
can end in eternity apart from God. There's, uh, there's some uh, guys, uh, these magicians out of Vegas, Penn and Teller. You ever heard of those guys, Penn and Teller? So um, known atheists, uh, one of the guys, the heavier set one, the bigger one. Uh, he, he was doing his act over in Vegas, and a guy came up to him afterwards and just began to like shower him with like compliments of, man, this was you know, a great show. I love your, your attention to detail. I love how you're, you're so engaging, inviting. Then he said, but I am so afraid that because of your stance with the gospel that you're, you're heading for damnation. And the guy began to proclaim the gospel to this dude on the street corners in Vegas. Now, a couple of days later, uh, Penn, I think that's his name, one of them, the bigger dude. He gets on, he gets on, uh, y'all can tell I'm old. He gets on social media. I was about to say uh, Snapbook, but it's not that. <laughs> I'm a little old, that's okay. Um, but he gets on social media and he says this, and this, I'm telling you, this, this cut me to my heart. He said, now, this guy that was, that was sharing this, this gospel with me, I've had plenty of people do this in my life, but he was different because he didn't come like, you know, Bible thumping. Like, he came with passion and zeal. And he came with just this peace. And he said, if this is true, if, if, if this, this news is true, how much do you have to hate somebody not to share it? Cut. How much do you have to hate somebody for them to, you know they're heading in a wrong direction and not share the good news of Jesus Christ? Cut to my heart. We've been given this responsibility. We've, we've been given this privilege. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you today, I think this world needs more than just to, to, to hear good news. This world needs to hear and to see good news. Brothers and sisters living together in harmony, coming from all different walks of life with this one common thread, Jesus Christ is Lord. Faith without works is dead. Remember that. So to recap, that Jesus gave his disciples assurance. He gives them peace, a mission, the Holy Spirit, and authority. So now what? What, what does a message like that mean to us today in 2022? Well, I got a couple of takeaways that, um, that I want to share that I think has some significance of what Jesus appearing to his disciples means to us in 2022. And I'm going to invite the worship team back up. The first takeaway is this. His scars equals our joy. You see, when the disciples, they only became overjoyed once they were seeing his scars. Once they were shown his scars, that's when joy took place. The proof that there's no limit to what depths of bounds that Jesus would go. There is no depth too deep, no sin too great that our love, that Jesus' love for us will not cover. And I need, I need you to lean in on this one. If you think you're too far gone or gone too far, my Lord Jesus loves your type. His scars, they equal our joy for those who are, would place their faith in him. The second takeaway is that his appearance means that he's after, he wants a rejuvenated, a regenerated heart, not a religious behavior. 
He wants a heart for Jesus, not just religious behavior. You see, because religious behavior is what put Jesus on the cross. Religious behavior uh, leaves no room for grace. But a regenerated heart, a heart that's after Jesus responds with gratitude and forgiveness. Joseph Parker, he had this, this quote, and it's just so good. He says, when intellect supersedes worship, when human ability replaces the power of God, when skill quenches the spirit, it is time to write Ichabod over our doors, for the glory of God has departed. Let that never be said about us. God is not after behavior modification. He's after a heart for Jesus. And this leads me to next takeaway. This, this story, his appearance, it means that there's a story to be told. Every time I get an opportunity, I told somebody last time, the last time I hear, I thought was my last time. But every time I do have this opportunity, I'm always going to make mention about Tom Schrader, founding pastor, mentor. I mean, just such an incredible, incredible gift of teaching, preaching, and just making things simple. And this last one is, is one of his. He says this, if you know enough to believe the gospel, you know enough to share it. If you know enough to believe the gospel, they don't... He died, he rose, he's alive. That's enough to share. He died, he rose, and he's alive. The biblical story of this rescue mission, Jesus on a rescue mission, has to be told. And the last takeaway would be, his appearance means that we can trust the process. For Jesus, it was stepping out of glory into humanity. For Jesus, it was taking on the sins of this world and for the Father to be pleased to crush him. For Jesus, it was his death, burial, and resurrection. And now this introduction of a new kingdom, a new way of living that is given to you and I. And this process that he invites us in is called sanctification. Sinners, who are dead in transgressions, being made alive in Christ Jesus to becoming faithful followers of Jesus. But also let me share this, brothers and sisters. This process, it comes with its challenges. This process, it comes with suffering. It comes with trials and tribulations and pain and heartache. But God doesn't waste any of it. There's not a moment that he wastes. Because what also comes with this process is the gift of the Holy Spirit and namely Jesus Christ himself. Just what he's given to his disciples, he's given to us. This gift of peace, this gift of insurance, this gift to walk in this new life that's hidden in Christ. And this process <laughs> will be just that until we see him face to face. But until then, we have each other to hold on. We have this body, this unity of brothers and sisters. We have this beautiful, glorious good news that's transcended from generation to generation. It must 
continue to be carried out. And you and I, we have this responsibility. So let's pray. Let's ask God to continue to pour into us what is needed to be poured into our communities. God, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for this, this time where we get to just reflect on the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives and what he's continuing to do. Thank you for showing up to these disciples. Thank you for defeating death, sin, and Satan. Thank you for taking my sins and the sins of my brothers and sisters far, far away. Never to be remembered again. God, we love you. We're thankful for all that you're doing and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.